Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. This is Clint. I'm excited to have you with me today, and I am excited to continue our discussion from last time talking about the earlier clans that subsequent clans grew out of. We don't know all of the earlier kindreds that the clans that we would recognize today grew out of, but we do have record of some of them. And of those, some are very well documented, and others are more lost in the mists of time. And in some cases, we just have a name of the kindred and very little other details. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. Guys, they have awesome, high-quality products. I have very much enjoyed my own products that I have from them. I have two kilts, several things that go with the kilts. I've got a few ties, and I've never been disappointed. I've never been disappointed by the products, uh, neither that nor the customer service, which is always awesome. Always always great to do business with them. So go over to usakilts.com, which is a storefront. Also go to USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions, which is their YouTube channel. Tons of good content on there. Uh, tons of interesting content, tons of relevant content. I think you'll find plenty there to to immerse yourself in. So go check them out. All right, so let me just at the beginning of this, I'm going to tell you a couple things. One is that at the at the end of this podcast, I'm going to give you a little bonus thing that I discovered in some of my study there. It's a little bit of a tangent, so I'm going to save it for the very end, but I found it fascinating when I read this uh, concept presented like this, it was so like it was kind of a mind blowing little piece of information. And I'll tell you what book I got it out of, and you can know what I'm studying studying at this time. Uh, there's a couple of things I'm working on, but uh, yeah. So stay tuned to the end, and I'll share that with you. But it, to pick up where we where we left off in the last discussion, we were talking about the different clans. Uh, all, all these clans that we're familiar with today, clans that we know like McPherson, like Ross, like Monroe, like Mackenzie, McDonald, Campbell, Farkerson, all these awesome big kindreds, and we're, we know most of the major ones, and we know some of them from other parts of Scotland. I'm, those were Highland clans. We know the, a lot of the border ones like the Johnstons and the Cares and the and the Humes, and the Maxwells, Elliots, Armstrongs, Scots. There's a lot of others. I'm not going to cover try to be exhaustive about it. Um, maybe we'll just throw out a couple of major ones in other parts of Scotland, like the Kennedys, like the Gordons or Forbes, um, the Keiths. Just a lo- all over Scotland, we have these, these ones that we're familiar with. And amongst, uh, with some of them, we actually know of an earlier kindred that they came out of. Now, some of these are very well documented, and, and in the last episode, I'll just bring up and review a couple examples that we used from that. We know, as, as an example of one that's very well documented, we know that the McAllisters, who were known as McAllister, their chief was, chief was McAllister of the Loop, and, but if you don't know the history, you don't know that the, the McAllisters are actually a senior branch of the McDonald's. Now... That's fairly well documented, though. If somebody who wants to dive into into that, they know they can see exactly where which descendant of Summerled was named Alistair, and the ones from whom the McAllisters take their name from. And another one might be the um, like with the the Macintoshes. They had the Shaws, the McThomases, and the Farkersons, who branched off, remained 
elements of Clan Catton, this larger grouping of clans, but took their own names. So that's another example of something that is very well documented. Yet, we have other examples where the earlier kindred, all we have that kind of is a name and maybe a rough location. And, and the examples of that were the Rosses, both the Clan Ross and the early Earls of Ross. And they're the person that they trace back to as starting that kindred was Farrakhur MacIntaggart, yet he was a member of a kindred called Obiolan, which is cool because we have this example of the O, which is kind of rare in Scotland. But we have the, the Obiolan clan, and by the time Farrakhur MacIntaggart comes on the scene, they're already a very well-developed, he, developed, well-developed, well-established clan. He can command large forces. And he, now a lot of people are like, well, that could have been the feudal system. It, it, it could have, but he, he's not knighted until after some of these actions are taken. He's coming out of the kin-based society. And that's the, the core of his strength that he can draw upon. And so the Obiolans look like they're already, um, they're already strong by this time. And so, yet we know so little about him. And, and that to me is enticing yet frustrating at the same time. Another example of this would be the Campbells. As big a clan and as well-known and well-studied as the Campbells are, they either come out of and emerge from an earlier kindred or have early ties to and obtain the lands of a, a group called Odunia. And there, and we here we see another cool example of the rare O prefix. Now, for those of you who are just new to this, Mac is son of but would come to be used as a label for a kindred or a clan. O is a similar kinship term, comes out of Ua, U-A, and it means grandson or descendant of. And, and then we just anglicize it as O, but we have the Odunias that the Campbells come out of. You, If you want to see that really unpacked well, get Stephen Boardman's work on the Campbells. And that's what it's called. It's called the Campbells. So if you look up Stephen Boardman, the Campbells, you'll be you'll have about as much information and study on this um, as, as you can find. You might be able to find W.D.H. Seller, S-E-L-L-A-R, who's done, also done some writing on this. So there's a couple of leads. You can get some more detail out of that. But we know next to nothing about the Odunias, yet they seem when they're referred to in legal documents from the 1300s, it seems like we should just already know who they are. So that's really interesting to me because we don't know who they are years, hundreds of years later, but we know that, that the uh, Campbells either come out of them or are, are connected to them some, somehow. It, it might be a, a female line. I, I'm not sure, but there's this, there's this clan that we don't hardly know anything about and how far back does how far back do the Obiolans go or the Odunias? We're not sure. So that's a really interesting concept. So in the last at the end of the last episode, I promised you that we I would give you a couple more examples of this and and then we would talk about why this is important to to know that some of these well-known clans today actually came from earlier kindreds, and it goes back who knows how far. Now, I just gave you one of those 
examples. And that was because the, the Rosses we talked about last time, but I do not believe that we talked about the Campbells. So there we go. And, and I actually have in my notes here that according to WDH Seller, so I mentioned him, the Campbells were originally known by the name Odunia or Ogunia, because you have the H there. I'm not going to go into all the Gaelic stuff, but Ogunia or Odunia, and that their connection to Lakas stems from this lineage. So what do we know about the Odunias? Virtually nothing. So that's really interesting to me. Now, here's another thing, like a side note about the Campbells, is that the MacArthurs come out of the Campbells. Arthur, was a, the one they take their name from, was a Campbell, and this might actually be a senior line to the Campbells of Laha, who later become the Campbells of the Earls of Argyle and later Dukes. A big deal. And they, they have the leadership of the clan or kindred known as Campbell. Yet the MacArthurs, at a time period before the Laha branch was really well established, the MacArthurs possessed extensive territories in Garmoran and other places in that vicinity. Um, and there's a, there's a backstory, there, or not a backstory, but there's a story as to how they lost ground and became reduced in power and territory. But one thing we do know is that the Laha branch really shoot through the sky as far as power-influenced territory. Um, they don't go all at once, but they really get off to a powerful start by Neil Campbell siding with Robert the Bruce. So, and he was from that Laha branch which it looks like was junior to the MacArthur Campbells of Strocker. Okay, so there's, there's a little side note on the Campbells and different groups coming out of. So Mac MacArthur's of Strocker are actually a very old, possibly senior cadet line from the Campbells. All right, now another uh, couple of examples I want to mention that we did not mention at all last time were the descendants of Anurhan O'Neill. Now, I did an actual whole episode on this a long time ago. But my, I try to make my titles very descriptive so you can scroll back through there and find that one. However, I was trying to see what DNA actually said about this. So we have these different clans, the McLaughlins, the McNeils of Barra, at least, maybe Gia. That, and I did a whole episode on whether they're the same clan or they're separate. Looks like they were separate lineages. But the, at least the McNeils of, of Barra, the Laments the McEwans of Otter, and the McSweens. Those clans, and maybe a, a handful of others, claim descent from this Anrahan O'Neill, a prince from the O'Neills. So if this narrative is true, then we have these all these clans that become you know, Argyle and Southern and Outer Hebrides, in the case of the McNeils, Outer Hebrides and Barra, we have them actually were to come out of the O'Neill clan, and the O'Neill clan goes back far. And, and this is going to come back here in a minute. Their lineage is fairly well recorded and established back a lot farther than you could probably say any Scottish clan is. We'll touch on that maybe in a little bit. Now, DNA results contradict this traditional narrative. The McNeils of Barra, they, and I did include some links to their story back in the previous episode on the, on the McNeils, but they, their paternal, their Y-DNA line, that looks like it comes from Scandinavians. So in the Viking Age came in there from probably Norway and settled somewhere in the 
they, they have a story, and I'm not going to go into that, but their, their Y-DNA line looks Scandinavian, not O'Neill. And another one I was able to look up were McSween's. Now, there is a different, and this is true for a lot of these DNA projects, is they're, they're sampling all these various people who have a solid connection, like a surname with no known non-paternal events, and they, they sample them, but you still have different clusters and groups. And we already know that about clans. We already know that clans weren't uniform in lineage and, and relate, relationships. Like, there are some people who were actually shared a common ancestor with the chiefs, and there's many in that area who would maybe someday adopt the name of that clan, and they would follow that clan chief into battle, yet were not really connected genealogically to, to that clan. So we'd expect that in the DNA record, but it looks like at least one group amongst the McSweens did go back, did, did have a Y DNA that looks like it could be connected to the O'Neills. So I'll let you guys d- decide to study that. And if you want to bring back more information, then feel free to. So maybe this whole Anrahan O'Neill and these different clans that claim descent from the O'Neills and from this person particularly, I think we'd have to study that out case by case and, and see where that that leads. And that's one way that DNA can actually contribute quite a lot to our discussion here. Now, there is one more that I'm going to mention, and then I'm going to talk about why it's important to even think about this concept of one clan growing out of another. But this last ep- uh, example that I want to share with you is Ancelan Okean. Now, he is who the Buchanans claim descent from that this Ancelan Okean, so the Okeans were a major clan in Northern Ireland, like the O'Neills. They're very powerful. Uh, but, and, so, but the DNA test contradicts the tradition, and it says the Buchanans and the Okeans don't have a com- common ancestor close enough for this to be true. They do have a common ancestor, but it's so far back that everybody's related to everybody there. So, so we won't put too much weight into that. The Buchanans are probably not in origin Okeans, but I thought I'd just mention it. So before I talk about why it's important to consider this concept, let me let me just give a shout out a little bit more to USA Kilts. Rocky and his crew have a good thing going. Back there in Pennsylvania is where they're out of. They They're passionate about making kilts, they're passionate about everything that goes along with making and wearing kilts. They're so passionate about it that it pulls through in a very superior product. I've enjoyed very much wearing my own kilts that I have from them. I have two of them. I can't wait as we start to maybe we can see spring ahead. It's late February at the time of this recording. A couple days left in the month. I know it's not technically spring until March 21st, but... Spring starts to tease us a little bit, usually at this time of year, and I'm really looking forward to getting out and about in my USA kilts. Kilts. I've got a dress kilt for nicer stuff, and I've got a casual kilt, they call it, and I use that for my hiking kilt. And I wear it everywhere. I wear it all over the place. I find the kilt to be a very agreeable hiking garment. But I've got other stuff from USA kilts. I've got some ties. I've got my kilt belt. I've got my hose, stockings. I've... I've got, uh, I've got my kilt pin, and, and all of it is very well made. I really, I really recommend it to anybody. I've had great experience as far as customer service with USA Kilts, 
And I've had very enjoyable interaction with Rocky and his crew. Any of them that I've ever talked to has been very positive. So I really do recommend them. Also go check out their YouTube channel. And I don't even know if their YouTube channel is sponsored. I, but I hope you just go there and watch their stuff and like it and subscribe and hit the notification. I really do hope you do that because these guys are awesome. And I'm excited to push you their way because I think they've got a lot of good content on their YouTube channel as they do with their inventory of awesome products for showing off your Scottish connection. All right, let's, um, let's talk about why, why would this concept even be important to discuss? Why even bother these earlier kindreds that the clans that we're more familiar with came out of? Well, one thing is I think it really demonstrates the fact that clans were static and or they're dynamic and not static. They, they shifted, they evolved, they changed. Examples of this that we've touched on already, but maybe hit on a little bit more, is you have the McLeods of Lewis. In the 1500s, they ceased to be a thing. Their power is completely crushed, and the Mackenzies absolutely dominate out there. And then, like as you get farther into the mid to late 1600s, who are these people of the Isle of Lewis following into battle that once upon a time were McLeods? Well, now they're Mackenzies. And they might still have McLeod surnames, but you see this dynamic going back and forth. You see new clans evolving out of old clans. And maybe the old clans are well-recorded, and maybe they're not. You have, like I mentioned earlier, the Farkersons. You have The interesting thing when you get into Clan Catton is that they were a West Highland clan. They were the Ardcatton Priory that probably the McDougals established in the 1200s is on, that's very West Coast stuff. And then you have the, the kindred as well, in the case of the McPhersons and, and others of the original clan of Catton, they're offered territory in Badenoch if they can take it from the Cummins, who Robert the Bruce didn't like very much. And guess what they did? They went in there and they took what they could. And the Cummins were not in a great place to resist. So... You see the kindred, the center of gravity, instead of being a West Coast clan, like the McDougals, like the McMillans, like the McLaughlins, like the McSweens, you see this clan who would be in that same category, in the same general area, but they push east. And now Clan Hatton becomes a central to eastern Highland clan. And if you want any information on this story, Dr. Allie Cathcart is a great one to read her work. She's really dived in deeply regarding Clan Hatton, also Clan Grant. And she kind of compares those two a lot and, and uses that as a case study for how clans compare, contrast. And, and, and even that circles right back in around what my point was, which was it's dynamic and not static. And not all the Highland clans were exactly the same. Not all of them solved the problems with the exact same solutions. And that's true as you look at Clan Grant versus Clan Hatton. So you see the center of gravity change. You see the original kindred, which was named Hatton, Clan Hatton, was originally just a regular clan, like other clans. But then you have these other clans emerge from there. They have their own names. They they have different locations now. It was a dynamic environment, ladies and gentlemen. I think, as I've spent a lot of time looking at clan maps, you can get the wrong idea by just looking at the map and thinking, oh, that's where the McPhersons were. And they were there since time immemorial. And they all, it was just a bunch of McPhersons in that area. No, this was, it's, it was a dynamic environment. And 
territories came under one chief's control and was lost by another and then he bought some stuff over here but he didn't have any kin there so he encouraged some of his folks to go over there and settle so now you have the kin group expanding and changing locations it was a dynamic world and i think that's one thing that this concept illustrates and some of these clans kept around like that like i said the McAllisters grew out of the mcdonald's well the mcdonald's didn't cease to exist but the Earls of Ross eventually stop using Obiolan as their surname and begin just using Ross as their surname. And that's and now so we see that change happen in this dynamic. The other reason I think it's important to understand this is I think it helps us see deeper into the origins of clans and maybe flesh it out a little bit. I have, as I've looked up, and this is just kind of an experimental way, like just what's the definition of a clan and how do clans start? You see some people say, well, clans started in the 1100s when the Normans came in and you had this, whatever was there before, and they had to adapt. And so clan, like it almost sounds like clans didn't exist before the Normans came into Scotland. And I would disagree with that. One, we understand, at least from John Bannerman, but others as well, that the word clan stopped. I mean, it didn't stop. Clan literally means the children of. So if you're only using clan in a very literal sense, then it, um, it, it just means some, some person's children. In the 900s, so a couple hundred, hundred years before the Normans were in either Scotland or Ireland, we start to see the word clan, instead of just meaning somebody's kids, it actually refers to a kindred, this broader group, and more like we understand the, the word to mean. And then actually that word goes out of style and is largely replaced by Kenya, which is the kind of the in the 1500s, the word that replaces clan for the word for that for, for clan that we still use in English. And if the clans, if that word started referring to clans in the 900s, it means there was something it was referring to. So, which clans were these? That makes me wonder how far back did the Obiolans go? Now, in Ireland, these clans are fairly well documented, and that's when I told you we were talking about the O'Neills earlier, that we'd come back to that. This is it right here. We're coming back to it that, well, the, the O'Neill, the clans in Ireland were very well attested to at this time, and they can trace their lineages much farther back, which is back as far as they used the word clan. In Scotland, the records are harder. They're just harder. And we actually, in a lot of the reading that I've been doing about Scotland during this time period, I've, and I have been reading a book um, in, in kind of outside of the, a lot of the clan stuff I'm reading. It's called Alba, Celtic Scotland in the Medieval Era. And it's edited by E.J. Cowan and R. Andrew McDonald. You've heard me mention R. Andrew McDonald before. Now I say edited because it's a collection of works from different people. And I'm actually going to share something with you really cool out of this here in a little bit. And that's my bonus material that I told you to wait for at the end. But, but in this... You're, a lot of the it talks a lot a lot of it is about Scotland during the ages when Scotland's really just barely barely starting to become Scotland. So we're like looking at the eight nine ten hundreds, and it goes a little bit later than that, and maybe in some cases a lot earlier than that. But that's one of the things that they, these people during that time period have to do is rely on Irish sources. So the Irish were keeping really good records. Despite the fact that they were dealing with their own Viking incursions during this time period, they were stable enough to 
keep that keep the records going. Whereas in Scotland, man, there the the record the historical or the record keeping landscape there just is really worse. It's <laughs> another way to put it. And so we don't have as good records of these earlier kindreds that later kindreds came out as like the Obiolans, like the Odunias. So um, it just all points to how far back these go. It goes back farther than we think. They go back and farther than just the guy who gave his name to the clan because that guy came out of an earlier group. Because as far back as we have records of the Gales, they were using a kin-based society. And earlier they used the word canal, later they used the word clan, and later they used the word kinya. But anyway, there's some things to, to think about. And I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about it. Now, in wrapping this up, I do want to share with you a thought that comes out of this book that I mentioned, this Alaba, Celtic Scotland in the Medieval Era. And in this particular part of it, I want to share with you something in the article in here or the paper that's part of this. Like I said, it's a compilation of writings. But this is called What Happened to the Caledonians by Alan Bruford. And on page 66, I have my notes. See, I'm just... I just told you the source. You can go and look at exactly his argument. Here's the, here it is, though. Kenneth McAlpin and Malcolm Canmore, or later David I of the Canmore dynasty, they might have been very, very similar. He proposes, just proposes, doesn't state that this is the absolute truth, but proposes the idea that Kenneth McAlpin very much like David the first goes, he's into exile in England and then comes back into Scotland with this army of Normans who are running England at this time and he gets his throne back. Even though he's from a, a Gallic dynasty, he's very Normanized and loves the way the Normans do business. And wow, he really brings a lot of them in, in and changes the landscape, the political and that has quite a big impact on the social landscape. And, and he argues that Kenneth McAlpin may have been something very similar to that. Between the two different Pictish houses, he may have come from an earlier northern kindred that had power, but were lost power to a more southern group of Picts, that he may have gone into exile in Dalriada. Probably he might have been mixed ancestry because these two groups have been intermarrying for a while. So he might have been from the royal house, yet one that had been out of power, but had intermarried with the, the Gales of Dalriada. And he makes a bid to get his throne back by conquering the Picts that were in control, and in doing so, brings all these Gales with him to help him do it. Because he is, in the, in the contemporary records, he's identified as king of the pits and for him. And then like the next two generations, I don't know, go, go read Alan Bruford's argument on this. I'm not trying to, I just thought that was crazy that Kenneth McAlpin may have operated or performed a very similar role in Scottish history as David the first did with bringing his army full of Normans in and helping him get his throne back. Kenneth McAlpin may have had his own force made up of Gales from Dalriada to help him get his Pictish throne back. And he's thoroughly Gallicized now, just like David the first was Normanized. Anyway, go see his argument. Don't, uh, I, I may have just, just screwed it up, but it's a really interesting concept. So that's what we have now. In the next episode, I would love to get back and continue the stuff that I was working on earlier with the Highland Charge. Uh, the reason why I dis like I kind of interrupted my flow with that was because I'm still making my way through that book that I mentioned 
earlier that that deals with that time period. Um, I think I might just have to skip. I'm not. I'm in the later. So you have the first Scottish Civil War, and then you is kind of interrupted, and then it kind of kicked back off again. And with and you don't have Alistair McCulloch, McDonald, and so you you really. He he was a driving force behind the use of the Highland Charge. Now I know it comes back into favor, but it looks like they they didn't do it as vigorously or enthusiastically. He kind of had this tactic. It looks like it was something that he had kind of developed while he was fighting in Northern Ireland, brought it to Scotland, and put it to use not only with his Scottish troops but with his Irish troops, both both Irish Macdonalds and other Irish troops that came with him. And that they were really, really good at it. And then, it, I don't know, it looks like it falls out of favor. But I'm still reading that, but I think we're going to hop back into that and talk about that in the next episode, just so you have a little preview of what's coming. And if you want to get involved in the discussion in about Scottish the Scottish clans, go to our Facebook group. If you want to reach out to me individually, it's thescottishclans at gmail.com. So thescottishclans at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me individually. If you want to go to the website, it's www.scottish-clans.com. That's scottish-clans.com. If you want to contribute to the cause and you like what you've been hearing and it's been helpful for you, go to scottish-clans.com forward slash team and uh, and hook a brother up. Every little bit counts, even if it's just the, the price of an energy drink or even at the most, the price of a book. But if you're in that boat, like I have been, we're like, Hey, I love podcasts because they're free. Well, that's cool too. Something free you could do is to rate this podcast on the platform that you're on and follow it. If you're not already following it and share it with somebody that you think would be interested. And that's all I got for today. Martian Leven Drasta. <laughs>